please take your Bibles and open them to Philippians chapter 4. So good to see you all this morning. I'm glad that you have taken the time to worship the Lord with us. I trust that your worship isn't just measured in singing, but also in the scripture reading, in the submission to God's word as he speaks to us. I often think that preaching is one of those moments that in some ways articulates Christ and his people. Preachers are at best under shepherds, shepherding God's people for Christ's sake, and his people then are sheep. And so I think in in a moment of preaching where it's not conversation, you don't argue back, you don't speak, you listen and respond with submission. The king is speaking, and we show our reverence and worship and delight as we hear his word being preached. It's the duty of every good preacher, then, to make sure that he only says what God says. That creativity is not in inventing something new to say, but in being faithful to what God has delivered in his word. In light of that, if you're with me in Philippians chapter 4, I'll read the larger section we're going to focus this morning in verse 5 in particular. Scripture says, rejoice in the Lord, in verse 4, always, again I will say rejoice, let your reasonableness be known to everyone, the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It shouldn't surprise us that there's this call to gentleness. In fact, this morning as we led into that song that we learned right before the offering, in Matthew 11 it says, Come and learn of me, as it records the words of Jesus, because I am gentle and lowly. Jesus calls his people to follow after him, to be like him. So when the Apostle Paul says in verse 5 that we are to be gentle or reasonable, It shouldn't be startling. That word reasonable is not a a normal word. It's not very common in the the New Testament. But gentleness, which is the way almost all other modern translations take this word, is a pretty common word. The fruit of the Spirit. Just as love and joy are in there, so also is gentleness. A kindness. In fact, the apostle comes out of his way here to say to be gentle And this command, which it is an imperative, is then for all of us. So why might you need to be gentle? Well, again, the context of Philippians is suffering, right? That there is this intense amount of suffering in the city of Philippi, but the Apostle Paul is writing from imprisonment, from chains, from bondage. He's held captive by the Roman government. He's suffering. And he's writing to report to them about his suffering to let them know that God's care has been on him. And that even though he is under a a trial for the gospel, the gospel is still advancing and he's rejoicing in the Lord. But he's writing to comfort them too. They're going through trials. In fact, he said it's been not only granted to them to believe, but also to suffer, chapter 1 says. So God has granted them the, the gift of faith, but also the gift of suffering. As you come to chapters 3 and 4, there's not just suffering externally. Chapter 4, particularly in verses 1 and following, you see this conflict between Yudia and Syntyche where he says, 
hey, you, you guys need to agree. So there's internal conflict. There's external pressure. We know from the book of 1 Thessalonians that the church in Philippi was extremely poor. So they have incredible financial hardship. They have persecution coming from external forces, probably the government. This is where Paul was stoned and imprisoned, where he was released in that earthquake when he was singing in the midnight hour and the Philippian jailer gets saved. He's got a hard life. Philippi is a hard place, and this city, this church is suffering. And in the middle of that, he says, so be gentle. Be gentle. Again, it's an imperative. It's a command. And as such, this command comes forward through the millennia to us as God's command to be gentle. So let me ask you, why might you need gentleness? Well, if you are like a normal human, you suffer. Whether it's in your home, as a child, maybe your parents are not very kind always. Maybe they say things harshly or treat you unfairly and you want to respond with anger. Some of you are only children, and so you don't know the delight and the joy of having siblings prosecute and persecute and, in other ways, torment you. I had two older brothers. They're professionals. They made my life miserable at times. I did not always respond with gentleness, which they thought was great. They were quite a bit stronger than me, so they just liked to provoke me and watch me get angry and helpless. We don't respond gently to people attacking us, to people assaulting us, to people criticizing us. Have you ever, ever been tempted to respond with less than gentleness, even among the church family when you feel like you've been gossiped or slandered against, when you've been hurt by those you trusted, when you feel as though you've been betrayed by those who should love and be loyal to you? Every Christian is required to be gentle or reasonable when suffering hurts. So let me unpack that word a little bit for you because it is a little uncommon. I want to take you to James 3. James 3, he, he gives a, be, a better context or maybe because of the surrounding context, you get a better understanding of this unique word. It's only used a handful of times in the New Testament. James 3, he calls us to this exact gentleness. He says, wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits. This is a gentleness that's tolerant when hurt. It is gracious in the face of injury. It is mild rather than intense. It is controlled rather than responsive and reactionary. It refuses to fight and quarrel and be angry. It's a moderated response to injury, and it is a yieldingness to others. It is giving way to others when gospel and truth are not going to be lost. And there's no doubt that Christ, who is gentle and lowly, would not have abandoned the truth to be gentle. So stand firm on the truth is also to be held in in concert with this gentleness, this mildness, this controlledness. We might use the word meek at times. 2 Corinthians 10.1, Paul says this, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and the gentleness of Christ. So the Apostle Paul says, I am being gentle like Christ is being gentle as I appeal to you. And there's some stiff 
rebuke in the letters to the Corinthians. 1 Timothy, requirement of a pastor. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle. So you see, violent responses in contrast to gentleness. You are not to be violent, you are to be gentle instead. Titus 3.2, the pastor is to preach to all of the church, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, and to be gentle. So you see, in those two passages particularly, gentleness is in contrast to a feisty, fighting spirit. Someone who is easily provoked into fighting, whether it's verbs and words and attacks with assaulting language, or whether it's literally physical violence, the Christian is called to be gentle. It probably doesn't need to be said, but I'm going to say it anyway. Abuse, physical abuse, verbal abuse, are out of place with the people of God and sin. Period. Uh, I want to be careful that, that what we don't do in our culture, and I think this is also a dilemma in our culture, anytime someone does something unpleasant to you, the word abuse is hurled back and tries to manipulate the environment so that if a dad scolds a child, someone, someone somewhere is raising a flag and saying, that's abusive. Again, we're talking about a verbal violence. A physical violence. These are out of place. Instead, we are to be gentle. So let me just ask you before we move on. Are you someone whose words are marked by gentleness? Whose responses when hurt are gentle? Whose interactions with your children when they're not obeying would be described as gentle, reasonable? When you are being assaulted, do you respond by listening, or do you counterattack? You know, there are certain types of employees or children or spouses that never hear anyone correct them because anytime they are corrected, they counterattack, and it's misery for the person who tries to straighten them and help them and, and correct them. Are you open to reason? Are you someone willing to listen when corrected? When upset with your children and they say, but mom, do you stop and listen and hear an explanation? Or do you presume it's an excuse and clap down on them with a quarreling feistiness? The command, be gentle, be reasonable, be someone who listens first, who doesn't attack with words, doesn't fight against the suffering that you're experiencing Again, there's a simple explanation in chapter 1 that God grants us suffering. And if he does, our response should not ignore God as the giver of this moment of hurt. It's cause. Okay, the command. Be gentle. Why are we to be gentle? Like, like what, what, what motive moves us to be gentle? to be reasonable, to be soft in our responses, to receive criticism and injury and not counterattack? Well, here's the answer. Look again with me in Philippians chapter 4. He says, let your reasonableness, again, that's that word for gentleness, be known to everyone. 
Now that everyone there seems to imply at least the broader community outside of the household of faith. In other words, we are to be gentle because our lives are public. We're to be gentle because other people see us. In other words, this is a call for gentleness for the sake of the reputation of God's people, the gospel, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I am to be gentle as I respond to injury, as I respond to hurt, as I interact with the world around me, and most of you work within the context of the world. And so your testimony, the reputation of Christ, and in fact, the framework of the gospel is revealed by God's people. We don't often think about this. In fact, I think as people that generally um, try not to be showy, right? Christians should be seeking to live quiet lives. That we sometimes forget that Jesus simply calls us to let our light shine. Where? Before others, before men, so that they might, they might see our good works and give glory to our Father. There are ways in which we expose the, the core of our beliefs, our heart is revealed, and the apostle here says, as we are walking through suffering, there's a particular reason you must be gentle, and that is the gospel the character of the Lord and your faith are revealed in your responses. In fact, we are probably at our most revealed when under stress. I can be a very, very good Christian when life is easy. Right? When my children are perfectly behaving themselves, my wife is saying wonderful things about me, and money is not a problem, and there's no stress in my life, I am very, very much like Jesus. At least by appearances, right? Like there's, You just don't see much problem in that life. But as, as we are people under stress, the weaknesses, the pressure reveals. In fact, when you look at that word trials, trials, one of the purposes of trials is that it might expose who we truly are. Trials test us, and in that testing, weaknesses are revealed. Strength is revealed. Now, I would call you to understand in God's goodness that trials are always intended, always intended, to reveal strength. God never tests us above our ability, right? Isn't that what 1 Corinthians 10 says? Therefore, God is never use a weightlifting metaphor here. He's never putting so much weight on the bar that we are just crushed under it. But at times, he's putting us to our very limits so that only by relying on the Holy Spirit and walking in faith can we possibly walk through this trial that's pressing down on us to the edge of what we could possibly bear so that the strength of God, the grace of God, and the character of his people might be revealed. And you know what happens if you lift weights at your limit a lot? You get so tests and trials and suffering reveal our faith and strengthen it. So we come into this context of gentleness and reasonableness, and he says, let it be known to everyone, particularly outside of the household of faith. I want to take you back to chapter 1. You see the same concept. 
as they're suffering, and these opponents, he says in verse 28, are causing this suffering. Look with me in verses 27. I'll just read down through verse 29 because I think it's very helpful for us to grab the whole context. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction. Okay, so as we are not frightened and we're suffering, it's a clear sign to whom? To them, the opponents causing the suffering. This is them seeing and it becoming known to them that them is the people causing the problems. They're causing the suffering. It will be known to them. And what is it? It's a sign to them of their destruction. Gentleness, reasonableness in the face of injury is a sign of profound strength. If my four-year-old came up and, whether in anger or playfulness, decided that he was going to beat me up, none of you would think it's a sign of my strength if I knocked him on his can. In fact, you would see it as a sign of emotional weakness. And when the Christian is able to stand firm as life pummels them and respond with grace, it's a signal of deep internal strength that only comes from the grace of God. And it is known by those around you. And this is what's happening to the people in Philippi. He says, as you stand without fear, not frightened under this persecution, it's a sign to them of their destruction. You are holding on to a hope they don't have. You have heaven. They don't have that. And so as they persecute you, they are seeing their own destruction mirrored in your eyes. Be gentle. Be reasonable. I think you see this again with Christ. If you just look forward in, in chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, you see the sweetness and the gentleness of Christ. Look in verse 6 of chapter 2. He's in the form of God. This means he was, in essence, divine. That is, he has the divine power. He is almighty. He is able to do whatever he wants. Right? He is able to crush his opponents. He's able to squash them like a bug. And yet he didn't use this for his own advantage. Verse 7, instead he empties himself. How did he empty himself? By embracing the form of a servant and denying the free exercise of his rights. While he could have squashed them like a bug, he resisted the temptation. Right? He resisted that. He could have unmade the people who were pinning him to the cross. Let alone just come down. Instead, he set aside those uses of his divine power in order to be put under suffering. Was he gentle? Come, learn of me, I am gentle. Can you imagine if Jesus Christ would have responded like you and I might have been tempted to respond? As nail gets pounded into wrist, and then the other wrist, 
and then in defeat. As he's lifted up on that cross and his arms are yanked out of joint, as he's dropped into the ground, and he looks at the people that are only alive by his power, mocking him. His response is gentle. And he asks us to embrace that same gentleness. 1 Peter 2.12 similarly says this, Conduct your time among the Gentiles honorably so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So, so here's the thought. As you and I are suffering, as we're in life and it's coming at us, whether it's internally within our homes or within the church or in the community, we respond in such a way that those looking on would see our behavior and they would recognize this gentleness declares God is worth suffering for. I don't need to defend myself. I don't need to retaliate. I don't need to press back. Okay, so the command... Be gentle. It's pretty simple, right? It's cause. Why am I gentle? Ultimately, for the glory of God. Because I stand as his representative in the face of adversity. I teach them who Christ is when suffering. I declare my God is worth suffering for. Finally, it's comfort. There's this really short sentence at the end of verse 5. If you didn't know this, almost every verse in your Bible is one sentence long. We have two in this one. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. He's near. Now, this could be taken two different ways. Uh, The first, and I don't think correct way, is that the Lord is omnipresent. That is, Jesus Christ is present to protect, to comfort, to help us. I don't think that's the intention of the verse, although that is a true statement. right? The Lord is always present with his people. He's always protecting, he's always shepherding and guarding us. I think the point in New Testament context generally would use this phrase to mean the Lord's return is near. That is, the Lord is coming back. And in such case, then this, this is a little bit of a different approach. It's not a text that says, hey, suffer with gentleness because God will protect you. That's true. But it's suffer with gentleness because God will judge. Suffer with gentleness because there's a a time coming in which everyone will give an account to the Lord. So Hebrews 10.30 would say this. It's a well-known phrase and well-worn probably, just not obeyed. We know him who said, vengeance is, see you all know this. Why do you retaliate then? Why do you clap back when someone says something unkind on social media? Why do you have to defend yourself? Why do you you try to hurt people when they hurt you? Because we genuinely struggle with this thought. Vengeance is mine, God says. Now, if God says something is his, why are you trying to steal it? Right? Vengeance is mine. You have no right to this. It's mine. It's not yours. Give it back. Stop stealing my vengeance. And then just in case you're unsure, because like if you give it to God and you don't take revenge, it feels like they get away with it. I mean, don't you hate that feeling? Like, this, this is what happens in sports. Your team is like coming down to the wire. They're going to win the game. And then someone gets away with a foul, a penalty. 
and your sense of justice is tearing you up. You want to hurl things at the TV as your team loses because an official wrecked it. And you feel like that in life. You're injured. And if you don't injure back, you know a couple things. First, they're going to get away with it. Second, they're going to do it again. Right? Like they, they got rewarded. They, they got away with it. They're going to hurt me again. Let me repeat the verse for you. It's really complex and difficult to understand. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. I just want to ask you, would you rather receive Mark's vengeance or God's? Would you rather me say some, something unkind back to you in response to your ugly words to me? Or would you rather say, hey, Mark, hold on. I got this. And have God come after you. Right? I mean, I would much rather hear some ugly words from you than from my creator. And a lot of times we struggle with really trusting what God says here. Vengeance is mine. I will repay. Maybe we're afraid that what we thought was a bad call by the official is actually the right call. Maybe we're afraid that while we think they need vengeance, they were actually correct. Remember, this is a gentleness that's a reasonableness. Sometimes we're calling foul when they were in the right and we're in the wrong. And we don't have the honesty or the eyes to see it. The Lord will judge. So here's, here's comfort. At the end of this verse, the Lord is returning. He will punish everyone who's done wrong and doesn't stand in the forgiveness of Christ. So let me just say this to all of you. Most people that are in this room today would say they're a Christian. And I'm not here to say that you're not. I'm here to call upon you to evaluate whether or not you are. If the Lord says really clearly that he will repay, that he will judge his people, you should be very clear that all of your sins have been transferred to the precious lamb, Jesus Christ. And that in his death, all judgment for you is transferred to him and has been fully paid. And you embrace by faith that death for your sins so that you might be saved in the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. If you have not done that, when God says, I will repay, it's a guarantee that you will pay the consequences of your sins. Do not take lightly the promise of God. It is the guarantee by which we are called to gentleness. But it's also the guarantee that if we do not have Christ, we will experience the anger and the punishment of God eternally. That next line in Hebrews 10 says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's sobering. And you might have been a Christian for 20 years. Don't ever stop looking in the mirror and evaluating whether or not you're walking by faith, walking in a love and a deep affection for your Savior. Don't ever stop strengthening your commitment to trust in Jesus. Salvation is not something that happens as a moment of time and then left behind and just, I believed when I was 10, I don't really have to worry about it anymore. 
just like physical birth, when you're born, you keep on having signs of life. Your heart keeps pulsing. Your lungs keep breathing. The genuine believer keeps on believing. Take seriously your commitment to Christ and evaluate yourself. I think for many of us, if God is going to judge, then we can be gentle in our responses because I am not the judge. But there's more to this than that. If God judges, he's not merely going to judge by punishment. He's also going to judge by giving rewards. In the Olympics, we have judges. No one's going to jail from those judges. Those judges are there to evaluate the worthiness and the skill of the athlete and to give them awards for their skill and their performance. The Bible says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil, it's utter all kinds of evil against you, falsely. Notice that word falsely? Sometimes we deserve the words we hear. Sometimes we're a bad driver and people wave at us and we deserve it. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for great is your reward. And it's in heaven, which means you're not getting it here. you got to die to get it or be raptured. But that can empower your gentleness. When God puts you in a place of deep suffering, Maybe you're married to a spouse who just has a thick skull. And it's hard. And it hurts. Do you not think that Christ is aware and will reward you in heaven for your faithfulness and your affection and your gentleness when your spouse is thick-headed? Why would you ever use angry words? Why would you ever cut down your spouse to shape their behavior? Why not rather trust the Lord? He rewards. There's never been a deed that he has not noticed. Things like building a dung gate. You were bored. Tell me you weren't thinking like, how long is this chapter? (laughs) So if God cares about a man and his family rebuilding a simple gate, don't take lightly how richly your reward will be for being patient with children who just don't seem to get with it. Don't take lightly the example of a patient, gentle dad when life is really hard. Don't take lightly those small moments of life where dad just grabs a vacuum and starts cleaning up the house rather than getting angry and yelling at the kids for making a mess. Gentleness is the mark of Christ that it calls us to learn from so that we might be like him. 1 Peter 2, 21. For to this you have been called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving an example, so that you might follow in his steps. Now think through what's just been laid out there in Peter. Christ has suffered. One of the reasons he suffered was to leave you and I an example so that we might follow in his steps. And so it's like he's walking this path and he's like pushing his feet down extra hard so we can see where his feet go. And it's a path of suffering. And Peter narrates, he committed no sin, 
neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Instead, he continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. This is how Christ was motivated to be gentle as he suffered. He didn't need to defend himself. He didn't counterattack. And he was as innocent as anyone could ever possibly be. And he suffered like no one has ever suffered. What locked his mouth in quietness rather than in counterattacks, rather than in violent, worthy justice, right? Like it would have been just for Jesus Christ to just unmake him. Right? Like that would have been fair. Instead, he does what? He trusts the Father and his justice and the timing of the justice. That is so hard. Why did Jesus do this? The Bible says he left us this example so that, that's a purpose clause, here's the purpose, we would follow him. We'd be like him. It is very difficult in the middle of hurt to keep our mouths shut. Sometimes we don't counterattack, we just complain. Perhaps that would give us gentleness in the moment of conflict, but that is not righteous either, is it? So let me encourage you with a couple thoughts here at the end as we wrap up with some application. If we're called to gentleness, it's a command, we must do it, to do less is sin. The cause is because the glory of Christ, the framework of the gospel, and even the testimony for the unbeliever are all at stake when we are suffering. And we do so knowing that Christ will judge. He's coming back. He will take care of this. We do not need to be the one executing justice. We do not need to get retaliation or get even or anything like this. This is God's domain. Vengeance is his, not yours. But I think sometimes, and I, th- I see this temptation, especially with those in leadership, particularly parents, I think, but maybe spiritual leadership within the church, is that we really do want to see something good happen. And we think the way to get something good to happen is words. So <clears throat> I'll reference the text. You can turn there on your own, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 7. We're not going to turn there. We're going to actually go to 2 Timothy 2. But they have similar theology here as we, we conclude. First um, Peter 3 speaks to wives. And it basically tells wives, stop nagging your husbands toward Jesus. It won't work. It won't work. And there's a parallel there. If God's word isn't moving him. Do you think your word will? Be silent. It's precious to God to have a gentle and quiet spirit. Listen, some of us are enamored with the power of our voice. And we use this power tool in our homes to lash our kids, to move our spouse And hear this for all the grace it's intended. You just need to shut up. Trust God. 2 Timothy. Chapter 2.
The Lord's servant, verse 24. Now, when I see the Lord's servant, I particularly think of leaders within the church. But maybe we could broaden it, at least by application, to say something. Anyone who wants to serve the Lord must not be quarrelsome. Remember that was laid alongside as the opposite of gentle? Must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. Man, this feels exactly like the same context, right? Suffering, speaking clearly, being patient, being gentle. Verse 25, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps, that doesn't guarantee it, but this is where it's going to come from if it's going to come. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to acknowledgement of the truth. Right? How, how am I going to see my kids made holy? It is not through tongue lashings. It is not through responding with anger. It is not through manipulation. Listen, I can bribe my kids. Right? I will give you $100 if you go to church every Sunday. You know where my kids will be every Sunday? In church? Will they love Jesus? Who knows? I mean, the ones that love Jesus will take the 100 and really be happy. The ones who don't love Jesus will take the 100 and be like, oh, okay, it's worthwhile. It's like 50 bucks an hour. It's not that bad. But there's no holiness. There's no love for the Lord. But you can manipulate with damage, too. No cell phone if you don't go to church. Okay. Hey, we've gotten compliance. Parents, you are in a power seat in your home. And you have power tools at your disposal. But here's how change happens. We give them God's word. We motivate them with God's word. That's what it means to correct your opponents. I don't think of my children as opponents, but people who are in opposition to the truth. They need to know the truth. I need to know the truth. The tool that's going to be most effective for shaping your spouse and your children, for moving your Sunday school class, for reaching your community, is the word of God. And God grants repentance. God grants an apprehension and a movement towards the truth. God does this. This is why gentleness is so central to the Christian response. Because when I'm angry, it's about me. When I respond with counterattack, it's about me. When I respond with gentleness, especially gentleness where Scripture is brought to bear, and God's grace is on display in my response, and His Word has room to powerfully bring repentance and knowledge so that the truth is lived. Christians, can we acknowledge gentleness is really hard? And by this, please do not hear the word passivity. Sometimes I, I avoid conflict, not because I'm righteous, but because I don't like looking bad or hurting people's feelings. The Bible says that we should be people who Help the church be built by speaking the truth in love in Ephesians. The key to a gentle response is to care deeply about the Lord and about his glory. It's to treasure our eternal home more than our present reputation and comfort. It's about treasuring heaven more than anything in this life so that when we get to heaven, there the rewards and the justice of God will be a right 
and perfect and fitting response to our faithfulness and our gentleness and perhaps to people's sin. It is treasuring that moment where our Lord welcomes us and says, well done, faithful wife who suffered hard. Well done, children, for living in that abusive home and still being faithful to me. Well done, employee who had a really wretched boss who mocked Christianity and responded with gentleness. Well done, faithful servants. Treasure that moment, that welcome home, that reward in heaven. More than comfort in life, more than children who do what you say but don't actually love the Lord you serve. It's to understand that even attacks and injuries, poverty and sufferings in this life are under God's kingship. He has granted not only for us to believe but also to suffer. You've never suffered in any way in which God in his goodness has not handed to you suffering as part of his goodness and blessing for you. When Job says the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. His point is that from the same fountain of goodness, two fruit grow and they're both from the blessed Lord. He is not blessed when he gives and to be cursed when he takes away. God is good in both. And so when God gives comfort or God takes it away, the Christian says, blessed be the name of the Lord. He has handed you blessing from his good love for you. So be gentle. Be full of grace. Be reasonable when hurting. Respond with listening to others and reasoning with them. Be gentle. Be reasonable. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for reminding us that our hope is in heaven. Lord, help us. You promise that as we strive to walk according to the gospel, that you are at work in us, both to give us the willingness to do good and the power to do it so that we might please you. Gentleness doesn't feel very difficult sometimes. I don't know how often as a church we pray that we might respond gently in the middle of trials, in the middle of suffering. But Lord, we ask that you might display your divine grace and glory through a gentle church who hopes and trusts in your sovereign plan, your goodness in giving suffering, and your soon return. Lord, help us to be gentle. In the name of Jesus, amen.